Hello, Gap Year Universe. I'm Julia Rogers. And I'm Margot Brookfield. Welcome to Gap Year Radio, the show that brings you information and inspiration to plan a life-changing Gap Year adventure. So today, we're going to be talking about managing risk on your Gap Year. Margo, what does that mean? (laughs) As someone who is in charge of helping a program manage risk. (laughs) It means a lot of things, Julia. And frankly, it's a huge topic and almost too much to really touch on in a short episode. But that's why we are so excited to have Dave Dennis on the pod today, who is the founder of Cornerstone Safety Group, which is an organization working within the gap year field as a consulting agency, basically to help programs to figure out how to manage risk appropriately on their programs. And that there's a lot that goes into that. They also have mental health counselors on their program. They have a health director. So there's a lot that goes into Cornerstone as a safety group and what it's really doing for the gap year space. But as an expert in the field of risk management, Dave is going to be able to dial that down a little bit into a more absorbable (laughs) amount of information to take in on a short episode to discuss how you might think about that in terms of a gap year independent or program wise. Yeah. And you know, one thing that's really interesting, I think for, you know, students, parents, educators who are not, you know, making the donuts inside the gap year space is that as an industry, you know, safety and risk management is top of mind, but most gap year programs and gap year counselors are actually legally barred from using the term, we will keep you safe on your gap year. And so when we talk about managing risk, that's because safety cannot be guaranteed. I mean, we could go into a coma on the way to the bathroom, tripping and falling. So, you know, life is full of risk and on a gap year, you know, whether you are traveling independently on your own or traveling in a group with a program, it's about reducing the opportunities for someone to find themselves in an unsafe situation. Margo, how do you think about that as a program director? Yes, I mean, it's so important to, yes, use that terminology of we cannot guarantee that nothing will happen while you're traveling or even, yes, on your way to work or to school or, you know, whatever it may be on a daily basis. Driving a car is like one of the most dangerous things many of us do. So it's really about thinking more intentionally about how can we anticipate all the things that might happen and have a plan in place to prevent those to the extent that we can and know how we're going to respond to things if they do come up. So I think as an individual, it's important to think about what those things look like for you and what you're planning on your gap year. And I think an important piece of this too is, you know, and I think we've got a couple of different terms that we use for it on the pod, but risk tolerance or risk appetite. As an individual, really thinking about how much risk am I willing to take on? What's within my comfort zone and what is without outside of that comfort zone of, of risk and what I'm willing to, what I'm comfortable with on my gap year. And so we really talk a lot more about that as well, which I think is an important thing to kind of reflect upon and think about for yourself and understanding that as you grow and develop and continue to have these experiences, your risk tolerance might grow a little bit, but it's going to be different for every person. So really catering that to the individual as you're looking at your gap year. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, you know, one thing that I think a lot of people don't think about when it comes to risk management or health and safety as a young adult is how a gap year can seem to the uh, lizard brain of a human as something that inherently has a lot of risk attached to it because you're going into a situation that maybe that individual or the parents or whatever can't fully imagine. Whereas something like the college experience is something that our society has a lot of messaging around. There's movies about it. There's all these things. And it seems like it's a little bit safer because it's something that we're more familiar with. However, I would actually argue that I think that sending an average 18 year old onto a college campus to completely fend for themselves and make all the decisions that go along with managing your own life as an adult is less safe than your average gap year experience with programs. Margo, respond. <laughs> I I 
don't necessarily disagree with you. I think that we 100%, you know, and gosh, I could go so deep into this, but I think there's so much about our education system that does not prepare students for what are going to be the risky things that happen on a college campus, keeping themselves safe if they're in the party scene or things like that, that students are not prepared for when walking onto a college campus and 100% a gap year can help prepare them for the many things that that experience will present for them. I think that it is, I would say with a thousand percent certainty that a student will be more prepared to make better choices in college if they take a gap year. I'm ready to defend that statement to the death. (laughs) I'm behind you, Julia, 100%. (laughs) Well, I'm so excited to hear this conversation that you had with Dave, so let's get into it. Thanks for being here. Good morning, Dave. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on the pod amidst your busy schedule. Hi, Margo. Thanks for bringing me in. Absolutely. So just as a a brief intro, Dave is joining us today from Cornerstone Safety Group, which is an organization that I know we've been working with at ARC along with a number of other companies in the gap year space doing really important work around safety and risk management. So Dave, can you tell us a little bit more just about the overall mission and purpose of Cornerstone as well as a bit more about yourself and how you got to this point in your career and to Cornerstone? Sure, absolutely. So um, Cornerstone is really a culmination of the last 27 years that I have been in the domestic and international travel space. I've been in tour operations for a long time, found my way into risk and safety just by circumstance, which I'll speak to in a minute. But what we do at Cornerstone is we're unique in the space of gap year programming because we blend medical, mental health, and risk management services to our clients and our members. Our members are pretty much the program providers that are supplying gap year and other types of programming, again, domestically, internationally. Uh, But again, what makes us a little bit unique is the blend of the medical risk management and mental health components because we have experts within each of those tiers. I am a co-founder and executive director of the organization. You asked about my background or kind of what led me up to this. You know, as I was reflecting, Margot, on this conversation, you know, I never took a specific gap year experience or what I had traditionally thought of as a gap year experience. But when I was reflecting over my last 27 years and what brought me to this point, I think I very much did, but mine was very unstructured and unique. What I mean by that was, you know, I got my master's degree. I moved around a lot as a kid growing up. My father was in the military, so there was a lot of adjustment and moving going on. And then I got my undergrad, struggled through college. I was not a great student at that time, both in interest and academically as well. But I did manage to struggle my way through, get a degree. And then I just started finding myself in jobs that never really resonated with what I wanted to do. I just wasn't really interested in it. So my friends and I, funny enough, um, decided to quit our jobs, move to Yellowstone for a summer, work out there. And that put us on a track where we were picked up by a ski resort. We started working there. And then I found travel to be an adventure guide for um, a traveling company, adventure company here in North America. And that I did for about four years, both spending the winters in a resort town and then the summers, summers being a guide. And that's what introduced me to this travel space and those experiences that really pulled me in and gravitated me towards this industry. 
So when I say, you know, I didn't have a gap year, I actually think I had a four year track that was gap like where it was all based on experiences. I kept my eyes and ears open that whole time, found things that interested me naturally. And it just gradually led me towards this space where, you know, fast forward 27 years later, I have a family, I have a business and here I am speaking about risk management. Oh my gosh, I love that story, Dave. I did not know that about your background and how cool <laughs> you found yourself in that in that space, which I think is so common for folks who maybe didn't take that more, you know, intentional post high school gap year, or as you mentioned, kind of struggling through college, which I think many of our prospective gap year students are in that same space. And great reminder that it's never too late to take gap time or take that, you know, break from what the traditional path, you know, quote unquote, traditional path might be of going to school and then getting a nine to five job in an office or something of that nature. Sounds like a really fun four years that you were able to have. That's amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not sure my parents were so pleased, but um, it ended up turning out, you know, right side up. That's awesome. And I think for so many of us in this industry, yeah, I know when I started trip leading too, my parents were like, what are you doing? <laughs> what, what, is, what is it? What is your end goal with this? But I think, you know, there's so many different career paths you can take within this industry. So and you're, you're living proof of it. So <laughs> that's awesome. And so I guess within this whole risk management space, I know you and I have discussed that that's maybe not the most fun term for this, but it, I mean, that is what it is. But love if we could just, if you could give us a little background for the listeners about what is, whether it's risk management or risk appetite or risk tolerance, what those terms kind of mean to frame this conversation for folks, whether it's a student or a parent of a student out there who's looking at evaluating these topics when they're looking at gap year experiences. Yeah, thanks for that. You know, when I think there's kind of two sides or two buckets, if you will, that I think about. And the first is when I use the term risk management, I naturally gravitate towards the program providers. You know, what is that structured responsibility? How do we design our programs and those aspects as well? And it has a very definitive meeting, which we can explore, you know, during this conversation as well. But when I think about independent families and students and planning this gap year, risk management, as you said, it's not a real sexy term. But what I like to think about is there's a lot of freedom and comfort and confidence that comes with just planning what this might experience might look like for us. And, you know, for me, I think about, as you had mentioned, the risk appetite and the risk tolerance, really these are industry terms, but the risk appetite speaks to who we are as individuals. When we're at home, we're in our safe space, maybe we do a little bit of exploring, you know, those type of things, who we are as individuals in that common familiar space and that environment because we're naturally prone to take a little more risks or try different things you know, in that space. When we think about risk tolerance, that could mean for organizations, what is that persona? What are those guidelines or those thresholds? And where do we find that risk balance, that tolerance within our organization? But the same transfers over to those independent travelers as well. So when I'm traveling abroad, if I go to a new area, um, I'm gonna use Australia because I think it's an easy crossover for Americans in particular. You know, there's a lot of familiarity around Australia and just what it feels like naturally speaking, but it's not that familiar zone. So I think creating that balance and understanding when I am a traveler, when I'm a visitor to a different region, who, who do I need to be? How do I need to act and conduct myself? And what are those things I need to think about under that tolerance threshold? Because again, it can be very different 
uh, different. If things go a little sideways or they go off the rails a little bit or things start to become more challenging, those immediate resources that we would have at home or in those completely familiar environments are different when we're abroad. So that's where I think about that risk tolerance. Who is that persona? Who do we need to be, want to be? Uh, and how does that play into relation with the areas that we're traveling within? Absolutely. And I think it's so interesting. I was actually on one of the go overseas kind of virtual fairs last night. And we were discussing this a little bit just in terms of how, you know, everyone's going to have a different threshold for what this is, as you sort of mentioned with thresholds around risk. And every student's going to be starting at a different point within that and what they're comfortable with, what they're ready for, like the amount of risk that they are ready to take on and still maintain that safety, getting into their stretch zone, out you know, out of the comfort zone and into the stretch zone, but that's going to be different for every student. And so, uh, and we were talking about this last night in the context of structured versus unstructured programming and just thinking about whether doing a group program and as you said, you know, as you are working with so many program providers through Cornerstone, what is that structured group programming versus, as you mentioned, the self-designed or self-led experience or independent gap time? And those have very different, I think, risk uh, evaluations associated with each of those. And so, you know, obviously there are a number of the programs out there and a number of independent experiences students can do. So when you are looking, you know, from the parent or student perspective at a structured program, they're doing a lot of that vetting on their own, often through you all at Cornerstone and your support and, and guidance, which is so wonderful to have. But what are some of the things that you think students and parents might need to be looking for when they're looking at these more structured experiences or program experiences? in particular? Sure. I think having as much as possible an understanding of what we're looking for within this gap experience, because I think when we speak to the right fit, which is such a common term in so many different ways, but I believe, especially around travel, finding an organization, finding an experience, finding a region or regionality that feels comfortable to us and what, again, what we're trying to gain out of that experience. So are we primarily thinking about, I just wanna explore the world. I wanna get into these cultures. I wanna see and hear and feel all of these different experiences and these people within these cultures. Um, you know, that's one thing versus I have a very, in, uh, um, I guess a focused or an intentional desire of what I'm looking for, for that experience. So that was very broad. So let me narrow, narrow it down just a little bit. When we will look at the structured program providers, they have a lot of responsibility in terms of the logistical framework that goes around what these programs and these experiences are all about. Where are we staying? How are we getting there? What are those activities, experiences, cultural engagements that we're focused on that really piece together and create this wonderful, unique experience with the mindset and the comfort that we are within a group or we have this support network inherently. That's not to say that there's not personal responsibility that comes along with that, but it's kind of this shared approach. And I think as we're designing or thinking about who to run the structured program with or be a participant within, uh, it's finding out about that organization. Who are they? How do they think about um, various aspects that might be specific to us, whether it's DEIA experiences or LGBTQ and in particular, what are those resources? If I have pre-existing conditions, how do they think about and or help support me while I'm traveling within you know, my specific needs? With the unstructured aspect, I think it's a similar approach in terms of um, what are we looking to get out of it? I don't have the reliance or the dependency on that program provider. So I would be obligated to find those support resources myself. What does it look like if I need to call back home 
to a therapist on a regular basis or even a periodic or an as needed basis. If I have medications or medical needs or pre-existing conditions, how am I engaging and preparing those aspects of my travel with that support unit back home and then creating kind of a clear plan of action if and when I might need those, you know, as I'm traveling around. And that goes to, you know, bridging over into the personal care. I think I drifted a little bit from actually how do we structure and what do we look for in those regards. But those are the pieces that come front of mind for me. Yes. And those are all I know things that we want to dig deep more a little bit more into today. I really appreciate the way that you mentioned, even on a structured program, that it's still a shared responsibility of that safety for a student on their gap experience. And I think it's just so interesting. I know this is something that we talk about so much in this space, but just these are young adults, you know, as, as if you're someone out there looking for a gap experience, you're probably 17 to 20 something and, and looking at taking time away. And in that space, you're also stepping into young adulthood and a lot of that independence and agency over yourself and your actions and the consequences of those as well. And I think it's so important to, you know, even if on a structured program where there are all of these support systems in place that a student might want, their decisions and actions still play a part into that managing of risk on the you know, on a gap experience. And um, I think another important Mm -hmm. note is that many programs, if it is more of a structured experience, especially for someone who's maybe never traveled before. And I know we're talking about a lot of this in the context of travel. And I also want to make sure we touch on like, you don't have to travel halfway around the world to have a gap experience. You're also going to need to think about these things if you're volunteering in your own community or working or something like that, of course. But really just programs are going to give a lot of that orientation to students at the beginning of their experience around how to keep themselves safe if they are traveling or managing their own personal gear while they're traveling or, you know, if they're traveling through crowded spaces or cities or markets or things like that, you know, a lot of that orientation is going to come in terms of savvy traveler tips for future independent travels or something, which I think can also be a benefit for students. If you haven't traveled as much to start your experience, maybe with some of that structure and, you know, support systems in place in that sense. But I, yeah, I just really appreciated the way you touched on that shared approach to it as well, Dave. I think that's important to to keep in mind. Well, what I'm hearing from you as well is, you know, it doesn't have to be around the world type of travel to gain the same life skills that I think are offered or we receive from gap experiences. So it could be something very close to home. It could be just a mission or a passion driven kind of exercise to really explore what that means. And is this something I want to pursue later in life? Because what I love about just the gap process in general is it speaks to me where individuals are within different stages of their life. And I think there's a a, bit of strength and courage and bravery that goes into just saying, I don't want to follow the normal routine of what's going on because that path isn't for me. And I want to take a moment to figure out where I actually need to commit my time and my space. And along with that, as we have independence and we're managing our own budgets and we're managing our own care with the support as we need it, we're experiencing all of these things, again, possibly away from home. In many cases, that's what that looks like, how do I live on my own, how do I become this free independent person. I think those same experiences are gained when somebody goes to college, for example, but you know, not having that shelter around dorms and meal plans and those type of things as well. um, I just think the value and the experience and the gained kind of maturity that comes with a gap experience is just so important and so significant. Absolutely. And Dave, I know that you mentioned that you worked in more of the programming space as a provider. 
And I would love to if we, you could just briefly talk about kind of that, the onboarding or orientation process for programs. And then I do want to talk more about kind of the independent experience too and dig into that a little bit more. But just helpful for parents, I think, to understand what that onboarding and orientation process looks like if they are looking more on the programming side of things. Sure, absolutely. So this um, is pretty much a stage process where obviously there's enrollment paperwork. There's, you know, the first thing is sign up for the program. Again, I spoke to the right fit earlier, but once that is understood, um, maybe I even backtrack a little bit and say, you know, again, taking that time is so significant. But once a commitment is made, uh, there's obviously the paperwork enrollment process. And then what the organizations will typically do is stage a series of virtual or email information. The point being is what are the programs like? How can individuals think about the programs and what do they need to know when they're traveling abroad? So that could be safety and security. Have you thought about finances? Do you have all of your paperwork, your visas, your passport, your vaccinations as you prefer to have them? What does all of that back end process look like? Again, gearing up towards the actual departure date. That takes us some time. And really, I like to lean towards that as early as possible because, you know, there's still delays in passport processing. So that's going to take a couple months just to get a passport. Visas are in the same bucket. It's typically a little closer to travel, but there's certain timelines where all this has to happen. Once all of that preparation is done, then typically the next phase is around the logistics, the culture, the what does a day in the life feel like for a gap year traveler within an organization. So they'll talk about accommodations and activities and how we're getting to and from and those aspects as well and then it really opens up to what are individual needs health forms are reviewed so if somebody has specific dietary restrictions or preferences or maybe there's allergies to consider um, maybe there's a lot of water-based activity we want to know as program providers what is your competency how comfortable are you um, I think really taking the time and leading with transparency and honesty as we're filling out those forms are so, so significant. Because where I've seen situations go a little off the rails is where there's a little timidness or nervousness in sharing what does my pre-existing condition, what are my nervousness points, um, what are some of those things about me that maybe make me feel a little bit vulnerable, so I'm going to hold those from the organization. And if those manifest on the program, it just really you know, doesn't get off the, on the right foot. It slows down efficiency a little bit. And I do believe that it can cause you know, a little more significant issues rather than, hey, this is who I am. Here's my concerns or what you need to know about me. The organization can then do some follow-up, some plan of action, pass that on to the leadership team that will be on the program itself. And then once that is open and transparent, and keep in mind this is all kept private between the leaders, the organization, and those individual students, so that information doesn't go anywhere elsewhere. But uh, the point being is once we know about that information, we can then decide what can we do to help support, how can we you know, create this pathway for you as an individual, and then we're here as needed on that basis. I just really spent a moment there, maybe over explaining, but I just think this relationship building with organizations is so pivotal uh, and so important to success. I could not agree with you more. And I'm so glad that you brought that up, Dave, because I do think it is <laughs> something that, you know, students do get nervous about. Like, oh my gosh, am I not going to get accepted into this program if I tell them, you know, my full history of XYZ? And and I, I think you I think it's important that you maybe over explained because it's such a pivotal thing, I think, for families to do with the program that they're working with, as you mentioned, it's a big decision to choose to spend, whether it's six weeks or just a couple weeks up to six or eight months with a certain organization. And if they're going to be able to adequately support you as a student on that program, 
they need to know all of the things that are there are to know about you. And that relationship building, as you mentioned, I think is just so, so, so important. So I'm really glad that you brought that up <laughs> and explained that in more detail because yeah, I think it's one of the most important things to consider with a program. So leading into, you know, more or less the independent or self-led, I imagine that's where you would like to go next, right? Yeah, I think it'd be great to touch on that because especially as programs, as we mentioned, are doing a lot of their own vetting of the activities or experiences, you know, I think there's some some of that trust that families can put into the program itself, of course, because they're doing so much of that vetting. But if there are students that are looking to, they're ready for the more independent experience and ready to curate that to their own liking, I would love to just hear your thoughts on how they might evaluate activities or experiences. What are the red flags they should look out for? Those sorts of things. Sure, absolutely. And I think it's such an important piece because, again, it goes back to that risk appetite versus tolerance standpoint. And I think it's real easy, uh, real easy as we're traveling to go through different phases. So what I mean by that is when we first lean in towards our gap experience, maybe we're very attentive to our new environments and you know what's happening and all of those differences and the level of planning that goes in beforehand. But as we get maybe a month or two months or a few weeks into this experience, that level of comfort kind of is natural and it comes on boards. I just want to reinforce that that's not a point where we need to diminish the importance of the work that we're doing in planning and you know having preparing for these experiences. So what does that actually mean? So before traveling, I'm all about balance. So when I think about what do I need to know about the region that I'm traveling to, the U.S. State Department on their website, they have a really great by country, by region um, exposure or listing of what are the safety mechanisms, what is it like to travel in those areas. Just like the CDC and World Health Organization will have that same type of traveler information from the health and safety standpoint as well, the medical side, the vaccination illnesses and so forth. But I like to balance that out, not just State Department wise, also learn what maybe Australia or the United Kingdom are saying to their residents about traveling to those same areas. Because what I know, and you know, there's very, it could be political, it could be opinionated around the government information that we're receiving. So that's why I think including that balance is so significant. And I also compare that to what the local embassy is saying. And if I do a general Google search on Brisbane, Australia, or traveling to Australia, just to resurface that example, um, that's exactly what I'm looking for, is I just don't want to have a single point of information because I want to balance that out and see how it relates to me and then what different people, how they're framing, categorizing, or detailing what that experience might look like. So that's the preparation side of it, and that's on a very broad context. When I'm looking at maybe accommodations or what do I need to know about public transport or even private transport or doing activities like maybe a parasailing, something along those lines, I think it's a balance of common sense. And what I mean by common sense is when I go to an activity provider, for example, or I'm getting into a vehicle that may be a taxi or an Uber, something along those lines, what am I actually doing? How am I checking out if this feels right for me or not right for me, because once, you know, we can always turn around way and say, I'll go somewhere else. But I'm thinking about having a conversation with the driver. I'm thinking about 
looking at the vehicle as it's pulling up, maybe doing a quick visual of maybe the tires or are there, is there anything dragging behind the vehicle? Do, are the brake lights or the headlights intact? Like those very simple things. I think those are key indicators or markers in terms of, does this feel right for me? And I understand there's their regional and cultural nuances to what all of this looks like. So I'm not suggesting we look at it through a Western lens, for example, but just trying to gather that fit and that feel to how does it, how does it look? How does it feel? What is my gut intuition um, speaking to in that regard? The other thing is, of course, TripAdvisor is a great uh, online resource. I think we get a lot of insight into who's reputable, who's not. I know there's some nuances in amongst those things. But again, I'm just speaking to, uh, I guess, that balanced perspective and where we're gathering information and how we're leaning towards what feels right and what doesn't. Yes, the common sense piece of it and looking at the, I appreciate that you mentioned not looking at it through the totally Western lens. I think we have different, obviously, standards and cultural norms here than in other parts of the world. But I, I something too, when you're talking about transportation, I know this was interesting. I have traveled some places where, and I think just, just some general Google searches can be helpful ahead of time, like taking a taxi in Costa Rica or taking a taxi in, you know, wherever it is that you're traveling to. And, you know, some of those transportation things, I think just general traveler blogs and forums can be so helpful because I know there's some places where legitimate registered taxis go Going to have a certain sticker on it and a taxi that's maybe not an actual taxi that has been certified or this or that won't have that sticker or this certain number in the vehicle or there's just little things like that that I feel like traveler blogs actually can be so helpful you can kind of get into those forums and do some of that research ahead of time just to be able to be savvy while you're traveling what I love about these experiences too is oftentimes we'll find gappers that are creating these blogs themselves and passing it forward and sharing from their experience. And I think you're exactly right. I think these are such relevant and valid tools in speaking to what does it actually look like and feel like on the ground and how did that relate to their experience? So I, I, your point is so valid and so spot on. I love that too. I do think more and more gappers these days are coming up with those online forums. And I know there's some maybe larger industry-wide forums coming about that folks can connect through, which is so cool because there are way more students taking gap years today and often having some of these shared or similar experiences. And another thing too that I know that we have discussed is just kind of mental and physical health and general self-care on your gap year experience and how this might relate. I know you have that as part of the Cornerstone team, the mental health professionals who are working with you and helping to support programs in that realm. But for students, yeah, all, all three of these things, you know, how can those play into one's safety and, and managing of their own risk on their gap year? Yeah, a, a big piece of this, you know, what we'll find within program providers is really reinforcing with students and travelers, you know, if they're on prescribed medications and that is part of their normal routine, staying on those while traveling. I know the medication vacation sometimes can be tempting, and I think that's all very independent you know, traveler and independent student specific. But I think a big part of it is what's working at home, what's working, you know, with our plan of action and staying on that routine is so significant. Now, is everything relevant when we start traveling abroad and those type of things as well? Again, I think that's a very personal conversation between the student and their physician or their therapist or what that looks like. We spoke earlier around developing a support and a communication plan. And I think this is really important um, to pay attention to. I think number one is, does the student know how and when, you know, what are those set appointments if that's what we need? Maybe in the beginning of our experience, we're going into kind of the unknown. Maybe there's, well, certainly there's a lot of nervousness. 
uh, around traveling and what that might look like, especially going into unfamiliar areas. It could even, again, be doing something new uh, at home or around our hometown or whatnot. But I think just sharing with therapists, with doctors that I'm trying something new. This is what I'm thinking. What do you you know, recommend? How does this play into my routine or the process of healing or management that I'm on as well? And then, you know, it speaks to that communication plan. What is that routine? Who do I need to contact back at home? Whether it's support unit of my friends, families, neighbors, so forth. I think parents, guardians are really key piece here, if not only for the traveler themselves, but for the family back home, because I know there's equal amounts of nervousness for those people back at home, loved ones, uh, in caring for somebody who might be traveling. And again, staying on that routine and knowing if I know that I'm starting to come across a challenge or I'm struggling a little bit and I know this is what I need to do when I get into this frame of mind or uh, if I can see my health deteriorating, I need to remember what that plan of action is and stay to it. I think when we start to get off of that success pattern, uh, then that kind of gets where things get a little more complicated and more significant challenges might arise. So again, what I'm reinforcing here is just stay, stay on the plan, communicate well, and make sure everybody is aligned in that regard. So at least you know that support resources there if it's needed. I think this is such an important point, Dave, because I know a lot of the programs are going to have students, you know, if they have maybe seen a therapist or are working on their mental health in some capacity to maybe have them create this plan of action form. But I think it's so important, you know, no matter who it is to have these plan of action set of guidelines set up for themselves ahead of a gap experience, because as you mentioned, it's something to fall back on when if things get challenging or something comes up. And, you know, if you've kind of thought through those scenarios and what supports you might need ahead of time, I think it's such an important tool that a student can use in this time in their lives. And I know you mentioned medications and another thing, and I'm sure you know a great deal more about this than I do. So I'm curious if you have any tips or tricks, but I know that a lot of students often have trouble kind of getting the vacation override with insurance in order to get enough medication to bring with them on their program. And a lot of times these specific medications might not be available if they're traveling abroad. So do you have any tips or tricks for how to make sure they have enough supply of that medication? I think it speaks to, um, the short answer is I, I think it depends and there's definite, definite variances there. Uh, and I also think it depends on the medication and that might be something to really consider as well in thinking about where to go to or what the experience might look like. But obviously it starts with that relationship with the doctor. This is what I'm doing. Here's my challenge um, internationally uh, and getting that quantity of medication or at least understanding where if a 90 day supply you know, is coming up to the end. How do I get that supplemental medication? And um, there's websites be, uh, via the CDC as well. You can look on the website there and that'll tell what medications are legal, what's offered in the specific um, location as well. I think travel doctor offices can really help with this process as well. Uh, and like you said, tapping in or, or leaning towards the insurance landscape as well. And I'm thinking even travel insurance um, might be a great resource as well because they are so accustomed to supporting travelers in this regard and they may have some tips as well. So while I don't have a magic wand to say this is what we can do, uh, I do think it's relationship building. It's utilizing all of the resources and then think about what does that mean? Where am I going to be during my length of stay and where I'm going to be and what are the medications in that process um, where they're going to be available? 
Last thing I'll say on the medications, it's so important to keep everything in the marked bottles. And I know we speak about this, Margo, directly, but um, it's so easy if something, you know, medications are in a Ziploc bag, we go through customs immigrations, if we're traveling internationally or so forth, um, just keeping that medication in that prescribed original bottle uh, with the physician's name is just going to create such an easier access or process point than keeping it stored in something differently. That is such a great tip. I've had students in the past who've tried to consolidate their medications and put them in daily little baggies of what they need to take or, you know, vitamins and prescriptions together. And it will totally create a headache at immigration potentially um, and longer headaches down the line. So that's such a great recommendation. And I also just quickly want to touch on travel insurance because I think that's super important to think about if you're maybe doing something more independent and don't have that set, you know, those set list of things that you need to do that a, pr- a program might give you. And in Another thing I wanted to mention too is that I think it can be really helpful for students to enroll themselves in the State Department um, Safe Travelers Enrollment Program, the STEP program. And when you enroll in that, you mark whatever countries you're going to be traveling to and then they email you updates of what might be happening in terms of politics or events to keep out an eye out for or you know even natural disasters that could be heading that way and such. So I think that can be a really great way to just keep yourself up on what's happening in the region you're traveling to as well. Absolutely. I can't say enough about that STEP program. And I think that independent travel, that's a really key resource because you're right. um, All what STEP or what the State Department, so STEP is the Safe Traveler Enrollment Program is what STEP stands for. Um, And what this does is, you know, a student or a traveler would enter where they're going, when they're going to be there, how do I get a hold of or how can I be reached during this travel piece? And then do I want to receive updates via text or email or whatever options those might be? That's really wonderful to keep updated and to share that information because that's also the local embassy's way of knowing who's in what region. So if there happens to be a civil unrest or happens to be, you know, an earthquake or some of these natural events that that do unfortunately occur, you know, that is an easier way to track who's where in the general proximity um, for that kind of search and rescue or that outreach as well. So while it's a little bit on the doom and gloom side and worst case scenario, I do think it's important if there's things that are taking place, those alerts will come to us and we don't always have to be bookmarking time in our days or our weeks, you know, to keep ourselves updated on those local situations. A hundred percent. A great way to, as you mentioned, kind of take that into your own hands as you're traveling, which is an important piece of maturing during a gap year. And one other thing I wanted to ask you about, Dave, just in terms of the the kind of physical health piece of things on a gap year, students traveling with allergies, you know, if you're traveling with a significant allergy or potentially an anaphylactic allergy to something and you're traveling somewhere where they don't speak English often at the restaurants you're in and such, what tips do you have just for students traveling with allergies and how to make sure they're keeping themselves healthy? Yeah, thanks for bringing this up because it is such a key point. And, you know, there's not a full understanding globally speaking of what allergies actually mean. And what I mean by that in specific terms is cross-contamination is a really great example. I can say I'm allergic to nuts. I communicate that to the restaurant or the food preparer, whoever that might be. And they just think, okay, great. I'm not going to put nuts in their specific dish. But does that, do I necessarily as the food preparer understand that I can't use the same utensils? What I like to do, so, you know, that is great information that the program provider, if you're going on a structured program, 
program will lay down the pathway and speak to that and get in front of that with those people that are you know involved in that food preparation if i'm traveling independently there's great resources online in terms of getting um, cards created that are translated in the local language and it's that translation piece that is so so significant where i'm listing what my allergies are what significance Many of these cards also have further explanation on if there's a cross-contamination, what that actually means. And that can be my best friend in terms of sharing this information, especially if I don't speak the local language, those type of things as well if I'm traveling independently. I also recommend for in terms of EpiPen and anaphylaxis, remember to bring multiple you know, um, of these tools, these resources for us, and don't put all of those in the checked bag. I think you know, in my experience, we found a little bit of um, sensitive situations where all of my essential medications were put in my check bag and my bag is delayed or lost or something along those lines. So I'm always an advocate, at least two EpiPens if I have them, um, to bring it onto my carry-on bag. Uh, and same thing with that essential medication as well. But the allergy piece I think is so key and feeling comfortable with sharing that information when we're out. It's one thing to have a card uh, or a way to explain and transfer that information. It's another to feel confident in what that means um, and I like to believe that people with significant allergies inherently have that because it's part of their day-to-day -day life. But that can become a little more challenging when we start looking in different um, areas that are in those situations of unfamiliarity. Absolutely, yes. I think keeping things in the carry-on, that's such an important piece too. And even having maybe a little change of clothes and a toothbrush uh, in the event of a lost bag, it can be yes. somewhat jarring when everything that you have to your name in that point in time is somewhere else in the world. So good to have some essentials with you. Uh, but thank you for touching on the allergy piece. I think, you know, more and more today, students are traveling with allergies and needing to figure out how to keep themselves safe in potentially foreign environments. So I appreciate that additional, additional resources there. Dave, are there any other kind of key points or best practices or things that you think are worth touching on in this episode to pass on to students in terms of risk and safety? You know, I think the last thing I just kind of want to leave on because, you know, there's a lot to risk management as we talked about, but what we're trying to get across here is not to create concern, over, over concern or over anxiousness around what this gap experience might look like. But when I led with the fact that there's freedom in planning, uh, that's what I think all of this preemptive work does. It's an ongoing process, of course, so it's not a one and done. It's going to be part of our daily routine and check-in. But by having these support resources, knowing that we're secure, from a medication standpoint maybe, or an allergy standpoint, or even a, a therapist support standpoint as well. Knowing that we have those resources and those plans of action in place allow us to really engage in the experience and not let the sense of overwhelm overtake us. Because when we know that we have, we're confident in the plans, we're confident in the actions we're doing, and we spend that extra little time you know, on that preparation and planning standpoint, it really does free us up to better enjoy the experience, uh, really engage and dive into those local cultures. And again, you know, I, I spoke at the top here, it, my life is just a series of events that have led me to where I'm at. And again, I believe in those experiences uh, through the gap experience being such a critical piece of this influence or this maturi maturing of those travelers. So the more that we can just do a preparation to feel confident in what we're doing, again, just frees us up in simple terms uh, to be able to enjoy those experiences. 
thank you for that bookend, Dave. I think that's really important to mention. And yes, not meant to scare anyone, but these are important things to really be considering so that you, yes, can be safe and enjoy the experience as much as possible. So thank you for sharing your many, many years of wisdom and insights with the listeners here. And I will just briefly kind of finish up by telling everyone where you can find us. So we really appreciate you joining us today. You can find Dave and the folks over at Cornerstone online at cornerstonesafetygroup.org and on LinkedIn, as well as email at info at cornerstonesafetygroup.org. You can find us here at Gap Year Radio on Instagram and Facebook at Gap Year Radio or online at gapyearradiopodcast.com. You can email us your Gap Year questions or comments at gapyearradio at gmail.com. And lastly, you can download our show wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you have a moment, we'd love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that more people can discover Gap Year Radio. So thank you so much again, Dave. We really appreciate you taking the time today and sharing with us. Of course. Thanks, Margot. Thanks, everyone. 